Welcome to the Machine Commons podcast. It's um, it's the show that doesn't require a PhD in advanced mathematics, nuclear physics, or artificial intelligence in order to listen to it. I urge you to join us, like us, subscribe to us, do all the things, share us, come learn and think about the wider societal impact of this profound technology. We're the Machine Commons, we're the Machine Learning Collective. Um, we talk to a bunch of different interesting people. And this season we've teamed up with Omdina. Omdena is the platform that tackles social issues with artificial intelligence, a community of 4,000 AI engineers, um, to focus on the far-reaching societal impacts of AI. So we're talking to Chris and Hank today, Lucy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had the pleasure of inviting two lovely Dutchmen to talk about RPA and their impacts on the world. Pretty interesting session. Yeah, we talked basically about the whole world. I mean, it didn't seem like there was almost anything, to these guys at least, that couldn't be subject to improvement or at least some some degree of automation um, using these robotic processes. These guys were from Green Consultancy, um, a company inspired by nature to build robotic process automations. That's what I found very interesting in the beginning when I looked at their website. And isn't it because one of the founder was from like a biology background? That's right. I think that's their tagline, right? So yeah, pretty interesting website. Everybody should check it out. But um, if you're not if you're not interested in this already, then you should be because like how, who has ever heard about biology inspired technology, right? And it's pretty interesting in of itself. Totally. And and these guys are on a mission to replace humans. Um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> yeah, no, not completely. You know, they think that we can still look good on the side, um, but they they believe in a world which is improved these robotic process automations um, and there's little that can't really be touched by these processes mm-hmm. and I think the important thing to take away from that is that robotic process automation as invasive as that sounds it's actually more about taking away repetitive work from humans so that mm-hmm. humans can actually focus on the important things in life and in their work which is uh, a big part of what we're talking about and and I think it's pretty good for people to hear but Lucy if the robots are doing the things then who do you blame when the things are done wrong yeah I mean that <laughs> those are things that um, that goes back to the accountability question which is also a theme of all of our podcasts but in this very specific podcast yeah we also talk about the hard times that people have pointing fingers at whoever is doing something wrong so basically no one really knows who can be accountable for that stuff yeah and the, the conversation got pretty crazy because um i don't know if you remember but towards the end of that we were we were asking them about how machine learning and rpa would work together <laughs> a lot of our listeners are interested in machine learning and ai and rpa generates a lot of data mm-hmm. uh, i think i mean so just side note, if a, listener, if a listener is looking for an answer to the question of who's accountable for all this stuff, um, I don't think anybody has the answer, but Chris and Hank do have their own opinions about who should be accountable for this and um, how companies are thinking about accountability. At the end of the day, it's still a big fat mess and I don't think we're there yet, but it is in everybody's mind. That's so true. And these guys were just so great to talk to because they are working with the tools. You know, they're they're in the meetings 
at um, executive level mm-hmm. discussing how to reduce human labor mm-hmm. in a very real way and it was interesting because you know when we asked uh, you know about maybe some of the more sensitive topics around you know unemployment and so on it was yeah well you know humans should reskill where this is and, and i think this is the case with all of the people that we talk with they are so embracing of technology and the societal changes that will come they it's almost like an afterthought it's just like yeah well the world should adapt the world is changing mm-hmm. um, and it was fascinating to hear about uh, you know the various examples that they brought up and the deeper philosophical issues that our conversation rose to the surface. Yeah, exactly. And we did challenge them in some parts. We were like, well, you know, if you take, if you RPA in an entire department, what happens with those people? And they did have, you know, their own opinions. Of course, if we talk to somebody who's dealing with upskilling people every day, they're going to have a different opinion. But this perspective was interesting because it made you made you understand why it's important to upskill people and why people should be doing that because going back to the whole biology thing it's part of our evolution to upskill and and change the way that we function i mean (laughs) at some point i think didn't we have like six toes or something no i think we've always had five toes but the smallest one was bigger and now it's just becoming smaller because we don't need it that's crazy i I didn't know that lucy (laughs) that's a crazy fact i didn't i had no idea Um, there you go I'm going to Google that as soon as, um, okay. as, soon as we're done here. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because he was also saying how internal teams were also often really receptive to this change. So once they'd mm-hmm. gone in, maybe people are a little bit scared because they don't know what exactly RPA is all about. But when they go in to consult, they, they run through the change management consultancy vibes. People realize that it just means that they don't have to do menial, repetitive tasks as often anymore. And mm-hmm. what I found so interesting was the the speed of scale up. You know, you, you prove it for one person and you automate one invoice processing task for one guy at one desk. And then you prove that case and all of a sudden all 50 people in that office have the same tool and it keeps working there. And so they roll it out to the thousand people across um, across the international team or, or whatever. Like the second it was a proven use case and it's a pretty cheap an affordable way of saving companies' resources and saving employee time, allowing their employees to focus on the things which they enjoyed more, got more satisfaction out of, and were ultimately able to deliver greater human value to their organization. They painted this as such a simple process. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who listens to this conversation will really benefit from the way that these guys see the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. And I think one of also the important things that that they pointed on is that, you know, I know we talk a lot about machine learning, but RPA is actually just taking the processes that humans made or companies made and, and automating them, right? Like what you just mentioned, taking repetitive tasks and just automating them. So then when I think at the end we touched on actually, okay, how does machine learning and RPA intersect? And that's when it becomes a little bit more black boxy and complicated. Mm. But the, the whole RPA thing is just about um, taking what humans do and then doing exactly that, but quicker. It takes away the mystery behind it and makes it a little bit safer and easier for humans to wrap their head around. So true. And it, it was such a valuable journey to these clients. Because if you remember, when we were talking about this at one point, they said something like, you know, and half the time companies don't even know what their own processes are. <laughs> exactly. 
I don't know about you, but when I've been sitting at a job, if someone said, what do you do? Well, like I can give them, give you the job title, but if I'm actually pushed on it, or if you're perhaps some, sometimes you've been replaced by another person who comes along and suddenly you have to train them how to do your job and you're like, oh my God, I actually do this and this and this and this. And it's only when you go through that kind of rigorous process of actually trying to replace what you do in this case by another human but in an rpa case by a robot right it's only Mm -hmm. by conducting that process investigation that you even realize what it is that you do and so it was interesting that their clients came out of this not just with intelligent automations done by non-humans but their humans actually knew what they did better as well yeah and that actually reminds me of like kind of catch-22 situation of one of the clients that they were talking about who wanted to automate the the bonus giving system that they had in their company and and then at some point the the, the company owner was like whoa do i actually want to have set in stone rules of who gets a bonus at my company every time (laughs) every year that's like okay like well maybe the rpa will be too you know following the rules and and that's also a question of like as a business owner do you really want to implement something that might be sticking too much to the rules when the robots turn on the ceo (laughs) (laughs) yeah no quicker way to like get kicked out of a meeting if you're an rpa consultancy exactly yeah, we've decided we're going to pay the, the senior level exec suite less money. <laughs> yeah, that can quiet a room. That can quiet a room real quick. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. Anyway, enjoy Chris and Hank. This is the Machine Commerce Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for um, making the time to talk to us. Um, it's really great to have you um, in the podcast. Here we've got um, Lucy and Chris and Hank. Chris and Hank join us from GRN Consultancy. Guys, how are you going? What a global cohort we have today. Yeah, thank you so much for the introductions, uh, Alex, and uh, happy to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, you guys run like a robotic process automation consultancy. You're going you're gonna to have to tell Lucy and I kind of what this is. This is a bit of a tangent to our world, so we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, sure. So um, robotic process automation is like, a, yeah, really doing the things you do as a human, but then a virtual one of you. So it's really mimicking uh, the things a human uh, should do, like invoicing, or very uh, rigid things like uh, HR, uh, making contracts. So all the mundane, repetitive tasks you think you do as a job, right? You think you have to do as a job, but uh, things that were said, like I think five years ago, get the robot out of the human, that you don't be a robot yourself. Uh, that's that's it's about, right? But uh, I think the, the field has evolved the last five years, six years uh, into a more different one. So it's now called uh, hyper automation. That's the official term now. We just call it automation, uh, which uh, robotic... <laughs> Slap process- a new label on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where robotic process automation is uh, yeah, one of the, the toolkits you have, right, to automate. Very cool. Are there different levels of automation? Sounds like there's like dimensions to it, hyper automation. <laughs> what else is there? Yeah, so I think people started, uh, a lot of people started with robotic process automation after they did some nice testing frameworks. Uh, it's The technology is quite the same. Or as a business user, they want to automate stuff and not go to IT. I think they're where it a little bit started. And uh, yeah, th- then they started with this robotic automation. So that's the only thing they, they knew, right? Uh, and uh, after that, uh, there's so much more, of course. 
So, so what do you have against people? <laughs> no, so you're replacing human beings. I mean, this is um, a strange field to be in. I mean, you have a lot of people out there who are who are terrified to lose their jobs at the moment. And um, if you if you do your job really well, they're kind of maybe they're worried about their jobs. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a solid point. But uh, what I've seen, at least what we automated, like for a big insurer company in the Netherlands, they do car insurance, right? They got 200 people just to getting their, their report that there's like damage on the car, right? Because of an accident and then literally clicking 150 times per, <laughs> per damage across the screens. Is that human work? Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe we should be doing better things. <laughs> Alex, there's maybe also, let's say another factor. It's, and I think that's also what Chris tries to explain. There are a lot of activities that a person is doing on a daily basis. And I think that uh, at least maybe 20 to 40% of all those activities are just repeating activities. It's not the most interesting part of your job. Yeah. So what we are doing with robotics, we are taking away those, you could say, nasty activities so that people can focus on the real interesting things and uh, things that need more smart thinking. But don't those things require more skill as well? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. We're forcing the human beings to upskill by taking away exactly. more work. Interesting. Yeah, but let's 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 look back uh, for a few decades. Isn't that happening already for many many years? That we are continuously asking people to upskill. The world is continuously changing as well. Eh? So it's I don't think a brand new thing. Have you seen that take place in any specific industry more than more than another? But perhaps you've got a client set that you've seen the success of RPA replacing menial tasks. Is there more obvious a- applications in one field than in another field? I think where it's more structured, so the financial sector was really the first ones to, to go, right? Because do uh, at least in the Netherlands, but I think uh, across globally, uh, there's much more rigid rules. So structure was there much more, right, uh, than uh, other fields like HR or uh, support units within companies, right? Or yeah, uh, logistics for that matter, right? It's it's much more differentiated across uh, yeah across the companies, but within insurance and uh, banking, for especially, yeah, it's it's all the same, right? Uh, there are not so many differentiations uh, there, although there are a lot of different applications running around of different companies, of course. So there's the the difference, uh, but I think really the future of work, right, kicks in here. Where, where, where people should focus on the new stuff to learn, get more tech heavy, everything will become IT in the end, right? Everything will become IT. Love it. So, so when you think about, like, for example, in a, in, a, in a bank and you replace the credit giving process with RPA, what those people, when just going back to the upskilling aspect, because I'm interested in understanding from your perspective what these people can then focus on the interesting stuff, so, so to say. So if that complete department is kind of eradicated because of RPA processes taking it over, what, what do these people then focus on? Do they need to go through training to upskill? Can they just be like slid over to a different department? Like what are they, what are they doing? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, so yeah, in the Netherlands, we only have four big banks, right? So <laughs> there are not uh, so many banks. So of those uh, f- uh, four, we did uh, RPA two. And uh, what you did see there is that uh, for mortgages, you have 900 people working for mortgages, right? So every day they process like a thousand mortgages or something. 
what you will automate is what already Hank said is like a 20 to 40 percent of that mundane work right so yeah you have some uh, <laughs> uh, some of those that are processed now straight through and the banks are already were already working through that through a lot of different technologies like BPM like Pega or uh, Ares or Bizarchi. so they're they're doing this like already some years and this really the end right where the person was doing this last part of integration. You can state that the human was the last part of integration. And then, yeah, this, this robot will now do this last part of those 20 to 40. And like a fraud uh, or finding fraud in uh, getting a mortgage, right? Because of the, the tension in the, the housing market, normally you got like 40 minutes to check if there's a case with fraud or maybe less. Now you finally could have like, just the right amount of time to check if this fraud is really there, uh, to really help out the people that are divorced, right? This, those have quite difficult cases. You also would get the same amount of time of doing a normal contract. So finally, you maybe have got time, real time to process those contracts that are a little bit more difficult than those, those normal. So the normal ones is really what RPA is about, right? Not the crazy difficult task mm. because yeah, that, requires other logic it's sounding like like you're able to give the humans doing the human stuff more time to pay more attention so that the end result is a consumer say in a fraud case where there's less fraud happening or where they the specifics of their environment are kind of being handled better it seems like a really good thing yeah yeah i think uh, i think if you it's part of your yeah uh, your process excellence, right? Or your operational excellence strategy, then it's really good because yeah, you also need to retrain the humans your guys are staying, but not only that one particular human, right? But also the whole team. And I think Hank uh, uh, did that uh, quite nicely within uh, his former employer. Yeah, I can I can give an example. So uh, both Chris and I were working for uh, Capgemini uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I was managing an IT department, and I think we had approximately 1,100 people working in India, in the application management area. And Chris introduced robotics automation uh, in my teams. And that meant that a lot of processes on our side could be automated, and my people could focus on, uh, on other things. And if I say could focus on other things, then it was that, let's say, the focus was more strongly towards the business. Yeah. So in, 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 before we introduced robotic automation, it was all about following processes, having a lot of documentation and all that kinds of stuff. Now the robots took over and people really could focus on, okay, let's focus on functionalities. So building functionalities for the business and let's uh, talk a little bit more with the business and try to, to develop the business and uh, make IT a stronger partner with the business. And so that, that's what we did. Just driving business capability. I like that. It's not replacing the human being. It's it's figuring out. So I guess what you do is you're figuring out how to make human beings work with machines alongside them. Yeah. But I think uh, if you talk about this, the really RPA, right? So, uh, but if you go to uh, the, the more, uh, yeah, intelligence automation, you got also artificial intelligence there as well, right? Uh, and machine learning. And there, yeah, there you're really going to get other parts of the, the human thinking, of course, in rules. So in practice, we see that 10 to 20% of those rules of those processes can also be, yeah, for like example, in OCR technology, 
or natural language processing technology, right? So that has become a, a little bit more and more the whole process will become IT and not being done by a human anymore. So, so and also chatbots. Yeah, if then you could literally do 80% of the process with IT, right? I, I would like to add something because it looks like the focus around now very strong on uh, IT is taking over work from uh, the people and the human beings. And what will the human beings doing, uh, do in the future? Uh, I think there's also very uh, other important topic that we uh, at least should uh, discuss right now. And that's about quality of work. Now, if you look at what's happening in Europe right now, eh, so there are more legislations. Eh, so every time more legislations. And it's not only in Europe, it's also, let's say, in, in, in the countries themselves. And it's for an organization very, very hard to give a good follow-up on all these legislations, rules that are being introduced. Eh, so take, for instance, uh, data privacy, take security. For Europe, very important, GDPR. Eh, it all has to do with data privacy. Now, if you are able to automate all these things, then it gets standardized. And as a company, you know that you follow the rules. And that's also very important because every company in the end will be audited. The bigger companies at least once a year and some other companies uh, twice or three times a year. And if the audits show that you are not following the rules, then that could have an impact on, yeah, on how your company is perceived in the market. Eh? In the end, you can lose a lot of uh, good customers because they are saying, hey, you're not following the rules before we are having all kinds of issues with our local governments. You're not doing business with you anymore. Yeah, so it, it, it goes further than only uh, taking away activities from people and maybe just taking away jobs. Yeah, it's also about quality. But the rules, to my understanding, RPA is different to machine learning, for example, because the rules are actually made by the humans and then the machines mm -hmm. are just replicating what the humans kind of optimized, right? Correct. So Correct. you're not adding any, it's not, not, it's not any additional innovation to the current processes that are ongoing. It's just like, here are the rules, here is how we've been doing it, and now machines replace it and do it quicker. So that, that's, that's another topic. If you talk about quality, very often in companies, it's not known how the process looks like. Eh? Mm -hmm. So the first thing that you do right now and that you ask the business is, well, look at your processes. Mm -hmm. Write down your processes. Mm -hmm. Then let's go for either immediate automation or before we do the immediate automation, let's see whether we can, let's say, uh, improve our processes. Right? So it, it looks like all companies do know what they are doing. <laughs> very often that's not the case yeah yeah looks can be deceiving no i love that um first you have to let the first the company needs to figure out what their processes are you know step one <laughs> it's so that's so funny i mean anyone who's worked in a company where there's almost too much kind of going on and especially in a bigger company people have just kind of adopted small little processes onto their mantle and no one when someone leaves you you suddenly realize how much they were doing and all of the little things that they were doing so mm. tell me a little bit about um how you how you do that so when you walk into a company that all of this is going on no one really knows what exactly it is that they're doing how do you how do you approach that problem yeah so uh, that's uh, also a good one right so uh, it depends a little bit uh, of how we how we start some people i think five years ago they said I just want a robot, right? If it was a chatbot or an RPA or a machine learning uh, entity, right? It was really, yeah, 
figuring out what they wanted. And now it's more part of their process excellence uh, project. And they're, yeah, they already have made or a bucket with processes they don't like, right? Or processes that are really mundane uh, and uh, make it a little bit more objective. So what, it's, uh, what I, what I uh, saw is that a lot of companies and teams have this emotional thing with processes, right? And then they say, yeah, this is so, yeah, so hard or it costs so much amount of time. And then you're going to really measure it just sitting down sometimes next to them or uh, uh, let a recording uh, a tool uh, take over, right? And then you see it's, it's not like that. Mm. It's, it's really not uh, the highest possible candidate. So you really have to, from that emotions, objectify it, make a, a prioritization. And uh, with the prioritization, you can select the first or first two process to start with, right? Because there already your change management will start as well. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, people, uh, yeah, part of the processes will be different or part of their work will be different in the end, something will be different. Something will change. Mm -hmm. So it's good to that that they are already familiar with that, and uh, that the change management, the future of work, they could also maybe uh, change do change requests to the to the robots, right? If they are a little bit uh, text heavy, mm. or uh, make the the third bolt. You know, uh, there there's a lot of possibilities that they could do uh, after the the project is done. And if you prioritize one, uh, one or two, I think two are the best because yeah, one could maybe fail or be delayed by authorizations, yeah, things that, uh, that that you cannot get into the applications. I we noticed that a lot of testing. So you got the uh, extension in a uh, in normal uh, IT application landscape, right? You got development, testing, acceptance, production. Those testing uh, and acceptation. Uh, parts are non-existing in big companies as well, right? And then you, you, you figured, but this is on the outside, such a big corporate, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, uh, how could you uh, not have this uh, tool also in a test environment or excitation environment? Because then you have to automate straight on the production. And that's something we really don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what you saw, I think, also five years ago. Everybody was, was cowboying a little bit mm. and just did it. And then the impact was you get a 10,000 euros without it being processed correctly for an insurance company. Are you sort of talking about unforeseen side effects kind of thing? So to a bad, a bad automation, things just going kind of horribly wrong? Yeah, I think uh, people, if you uh, yeah, automate on a production landscape, yeah, it, it's straight on production. So, and you're affecting real things. You're not testing it on fake things, right? Then it's like the real thing. Yeah. So in, in acceptance, you're testing also on the real thing, but then it does not go outside the company most of the times, right? And now it's also going outside. So if it's a credit uh, thing or you have to pay car damages or I don't know, you have to uh, make, a, uh, make a standard contract and you do it on production, then that contract has been sent, right? Or the money has been paid. <laughs> so the actual yeah, damage has been done. Like a, a new employer you get and teaching him or her the, the wrong stuff, you know, <laughs> is the same. So who gets the blame? You know, if, if, it's, if it's just a, like a piece of code, who, who do you point the finger at? Is it you? Is it the coder? 
Yeah, so that's a good one uh, as well, right? Because uh, in, in, in the first years, it was really difficult. And uh, as an integrator, you all always uh, have to blame, you know? Um, but uh, th then you have contracts, luckily. And it de depends on the, the way you... Um, yeah, the way you do your project, right? If it's a project with the customer and they are at the steering wheel, then they are, uh, you just uh, supply. But if you really have done it as, as a project, as the whole company, right? As you are the, the company doing it for them. Yeah, then it's a little bit tricky, but then we never do it on production. Never. I mean, I mean I'm joking a little bit, but I think what my question is trying to get at is this, is this deeper thing that I think we have the same problem in machine learning and in any kind of automation, in any kind of anything where we're replacing human beings, this, this concept of blame and kind of the lack of a scapegoat comes up. So like if there's an automated, if there's a self-driving car and it hits somebody, and even if it hits somebody magnitudes less frequently and with less likelihood, because it was not a human being, I think people are going to get angrier. You know what I mean? Like they're going to attribute much more rage to this to this inhuman thing. And I think as we progress as society, as we have more resource challenges, a growing population, and things just kind of get a bit harder on this planet, we're gonna need we're gonna rely on these technologies more and more over time. And I mean, do you find yourself thinking about this, about this idea of of blame and of making systems that are sort of ultimately not responsible or if you know, do you do you sort of know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Maybe Hank. Uh... Yeah, I, I do have an opinion when it comes to, to uh, blaming. So let's take a clear example in the car industry, for instance. And that's where I can understand that people are afraid of technology and because they are not fully in control. And if you have an accident, then it can cost your life. Yeah. So then it's really frightening. Uh, if you're talking about regular business where we are, uh, let's say, uh, working in where we try to introduce robotics and artificial intelligence and uh, those kinds of things, then it's not about your life. Yeah, but it's more about your job. Yeah. So very often the blaming is coming from uh, people do not fully want to take the responsibility. And whenever something goes wrong, it's always another. Yeah, it's 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 not you to be blamed. Um, for me, it's very important that if you start a project together with a customer, you should immediately, right from the beginning, do it together with the business. Yeah. So you should team up with the business and you should do it in full partnership. Unfortunately, you always will find companies where there's, let's say, kind of a culture, blaming culture. Uh, yeah, you will have to handle it. Yeah. But for me, there are serious different things. So when it comes to uh, cars, for instance, as an example, and life-threatening things. I can imagine what you just said when it comes to companies. And it's just all about uh, jobs, career, uh, and, and bonuses and all the kinds of stuff. So blaming is there as well, but it's, let's say, from another magnitude. So the risk isn't as high, for example. Exactly. But wouldn't it, like in the automobile industry as well, the I don't know the exact statistics, but isn't the likelihood of a machine crashing and killing a human like way smaller than us crashing and killing humans every single day. <laughs> what what are human beings doing every day? I think uh, across the world we are continuously killing a lot of people. So <laughs> so yeah, well I don't know. The fact is that IT is there and it will stay there and it will be much more important in the future. Indeed, there's huge discussion about artificial intelligence. Eh? How far should we go? And when are robots taking over? 
I, I think as human beings, we should try to handle it and make sure that we are always in control. Yeah, that, that's how I look at it. I'm not seeing it as something that we should be afraid of. Let's try to let's say, use it in a proper manner. But in the end, make sure that we human beings are always in control. That's the most important thing. Control. Yeah, I think even with uh, auto machine learning, right, and uh, uh, an OCR and NLP technology for reading emails, reading documents, right, those kind of things, it's all code by, made by humans. Mm -hmm. Then maybe your boss, right, uh, in the end is responsible. Uh, a proper Raki should maybe in, be in place. I think that is a lot of times not even there. Correct. Uh, a lot of people don't even know what it is uh, anymore. <laughs> I think there it's very clear within the company who is responsible and accountable, right? And I think uh, through the DevOps uh, perspective, everybody is now becoming more and more accountable in the team. You know, the responsible at the end, yeah, that is most of the time the project manager, the contract manager or the person doing this within the company. As for RPA, it's really rigid, like, uh, yeah, instead of having uh, Hank and me uh, uh, as one of their people in their team, they now have Robot X, Y, Z, you know, as well there. So it's very clear in the structure uh, uh, with uh, AD accounts, who is <laughs> accountable and who is not. And, and one other thing I would like to add, because there is also another dimension when it comes to IT and when it comes to human beings. Let's, let's not forget that we have all kinds of different people. And so we have, let's say, people that uh, really adopt IT, do like IT, that want to go further than probably what we are currently thinking of. There's a lot of other people don't even understand what IT is and what IT can do for you. So that's also a discussion that I have uh, on a regular basis within my family and my friends. Take, for instance, especially elderly people. They sometimes really hate IT. It's far too complex. Uh, I do not understand these applications. I have to go to banks with credit cards. I don't have the, the physical money anymore and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the youngsters, uh, they, their way of thinking is totally different. Yeah? Uh, and that's also an aspect where we should take care of. So you have, let's say, uh, yeah, different people in an organization and what also Chris said before, change management is also a very important component. It's mm -hmm. not just dropping in IT and IT will do everything for you. It's also, let's say, uh, 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 introducing change management. And that's what very many companies very often just forget. It's uh, you should make sure that people do understand what's happening that they are part of the entire change and in the end do understand why it's not only good for them, but maybe also good for the company, maybe good for the environment, et cetera, et cetera, and what it can mean for them. It's not every change is always bad. That's actually a really good point. How often do you guys come across the issue of uh, um, where you go into a company and you want to introduce a new system, but then the team is maybe like older or not that, re not that receptive to change? and they just don't implement it or it just never gets implemented or it takes like years to get implemented. Is that like a, a big factor? Yeah, so, so now with RPA, not really, because uh, those projects, uh, if you start, it's like, uh, I like to start in the four till uh, max 12 weeks and then you've got three bots live. And in those 12 weeks, if you don't have those, uh, yeah, if they don't like it that much, then we did or something temporary wrong, right, in the start, <laughs> uh, that we didn't take them with us. Uh, because that's what I said, when, when you go in, change management starts already. 
uh, with prioritization of the processes and you can really um, yeah, have people getting enthusiastic within this process of the coming weeks, you know, don't you, do you like all your work you're doing currently? Uh, no, no, maybe not. Maybe this part I really hate. So we then start there. You know, it's really operational. RPA there, therefore, is I think really, yeah, really nice because it's really so close next to the human, right? Yeah. So either way, we did it very wrongly. Or after twelve weeks, uh, you're done. So it's not like setting up a, b a very big BPM application or a big front-end application which takes maybe one year or two years, mm -hmm. and then it's not being used, and you got this last one month change management project, right? Which uh, then KPMG or AY comes inside and they do this change management uh, stuff. That's not like it. So it's very fast, you know, it's very, yeah, uh, the pace is very fast. Uh, it's, it's like a pressure cooker also with the customer. So I think, yeah, skin in the game from our side and from their side. And that's why it's fast. We can make high impact and uh, yeah, people will use it. In terms of the consequence for a bad automation decision, what's the highest stake thing that you've worked on? For example, credit application approval might be worse than say, do you want fries with that? So along the continuum of, you know, how bad a bad decision could be, what's the highest stake situation you've you've worked across? Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I think emotionally, where we try to automate uh, the the HR project for. Uh, getting a higher pay grade and a bonus structure. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and then doing that maybe wrongly for 10,000 or more than 10,000 people at once. That was more like a thing the CEO didn't want to get that in production, right? Mm. They didn't want to take it. it. <laughs> no, that one was built and it was like, yeah, we can do it. We know it will work. And then it was like, yeah, but... So, so everybody will get this promotion according to the rules now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really don't like this actually. <laughs> so I think emotionally that was really okay. So, so people were in the game, right? We made it, uh, it did work. And then uh, because it worked, I think that was because we, sta we their, their rules were already standard, right? In this big corporate. But, but still, they didn't want to let it out now. There's no room for subjectivity then, right? Or nepotism. No, exactly. And that's, yeah, that, then how important are you then yourself? You know, so then the, 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 the sponsorship itself is hanging there. So maybe it's not the, the, the best way of getting, uh, but I, I found it very intriguing. The, the, the customer itself was not uh, willing to let it go. Yeah, I think uh, the, the the highest one was really the, the car credit, right? That uh, the the car payments were paid out, and for example, you could pay a whole new car because it was, yeah, you you uh, your car was total uh, total wasted from this uh, accident, and then you would pay everything like ten thousand, one hundred thousand euros sometimes. Um, but that's more the financial biggest impact, you know. That's yeah, if I may uh, add one thing to what uh, Chris just said, eh? uh, and you also, let's say, heard it when he was talking about uh, working for HR and trying to introduce a very nice solution, and then in the end, the business decided not to do so. So if you're talking about risk, I think that, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that in almost 100% of the cases, the risk is always on the business side. Eh? So in the end, they do the acceptance test, and they decide whether they want to implement it in production or not. 
So that's also how we should look at things from our side, at least. Yeah. So we do our best. We make sure that everything is from a uh, professional point of view in place and works perfect. But in the end, pushing the button and uh, doing the transfer to production, that's always uh, a decision of the business. So you build the technology and then up to them whether or not to release it into the wild. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, um, I saw on your, your guys' website, robots inspired by nature or something. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? I'm sort of thinking cellular automata or something. Is this, is this <laughs> some kind of self-replicating hint? No, that would be awesome though. But uh, no, the, uh, it, it's much more, uh, yeah. So I'm a biologist from background, okay. behavioral biologist. And uh, um, I saw within IT that a lot of things, uh, uh, architectural wise are inspired by nature, like a, like a tree, you know, with its roots or uh, with an ecosystem, they call it a lot of times in the IT. I don't like this very much, uh, to be honest, because it's very different from the, uh, yeah, the, the ecosystem we used to call within biology, right? But at least there are a lot of parts that, yeah, I think they were already inspired within IT by this nature. And um, that's what, when I came across during my years now within IT, and I figured, I think we need a lot more of those yeah, uh, things to be inspired by nature, right? So uh, like quantum, I think that's also really more uh, a thing that is inspired by nature, right? Even blockchain, you could say that's inspired by prions. It's also mm-hmm. a way to, to do the same, right? To have the same hashes. So a lot of things that we're now rebuilding digitally, uh, they're already there for many years, millions of years, you know, uh, being, uh, being built by nature. So true. Do you guys specialize on the technology like or industry? Is your RPA kind of like the, the most innovative or, or the industry that you guys specialize in? Yeah, so that's a really good question because we're quite young, right? As a startup, I think uh, Hank is really triggering me where to go next, to be very frank. RPA is right, the technology you can use for any business rule. It's really business focused. So it's, it's, it's not limited to agri uh, business or to banking right you can do it everywhere but the no- domain knowledge of certain parts is, is really good to have for example if you're good uh, within uh, logistics for example it's really nice to know that, that that process right in your head and then to build this technology with it so yeah it can definitely help you but where we want to go because rpa is quite yeah becoming yeah uh, it, it's really now already for some years, right? It's here to stay for, uh, I think, at least uh, five years, maybe more. And uh, yeah, it's uh, really applied innovation, as I would call it. Chatbot's a little bit newer, right? But uh, we really want to get to the IT and OT part where a sensor would trigger uh, like this threshold in CO2, for example, or uh, the tomato being red and it being picked, right? In a vertical farm. And that's where real robots, robotics, in my opinion, and robots, the, the IT variant, would collide, right? And that's re- really where, uh, within the next three years, we definitely would like to be as a company, where the IT and the OT would be together, and um, yeah, that we can help uh, a lot of companies uh, with this, uh, with all those challenges. You said Hank is the one pushing you in this direction. Hank, where are these pushes coming from? Where do you see all of this going? Well, no, I push. It, it was, let's say, uh, just some brainstorming. So when uh, 
when uh, Chris and I were talking about, okay, let's try to uh, develop uh, green consultancy yeah, and then uh, let, let's go broader and all that kinds of stuff. We were talking, discussing RPA, the automation of a lot of processes within companies. And what I said to uh, Chris is, well, that's not something that you only do within the agriculture uh, sector. Yeah, That's what you can do everywhere because every company has an HR department, a sales department, a finance department, and a couple of other departments. So that's generic. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, robotics, RPA, automation, and all those things, in the end, you can do it for every company. Hmm. So you will have to make a choice. Yeah. Are you going to implement this? And that's also what you just said. Are you only focusing on technology? Then every company can be a potential customer. Or do you want to be more specific in one sector? Yeah, and then uh, the uh, the knowledge of Chris is coming back. Yeah? So uh, it's um, biotechnology knowledge and that kinds of stuff. So that's why we said, okay, let's do a combination. And so we are talking about technology and then on the other end, the agriculture sector. Yeah, so after some brainstorm sessions, we had something like, hey, okay, let's do that. So in the end, the choice is let's go for automation, robotics in the agriculture sector. So you're focusing specifically on agriculture now, or you, you have been? No, no. Yeah, we would like to be, right? So uh, I think agribusiness, biotech, and life sciences, and maybe life sciences is part of biotech, or biotech is part of life sciences. Uh, but uh, I think there, the future will, yeah, will be more and more, right? We'll produce vanilla more in a, uh, with the bacteria than uh, actually uh, kill, a, kill a, an animal for that uh, to get the vanilla out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can see in uh, the movies for that. Uh, so I think more and more will be life science and biotech. And they are very good, I think, at, uh, uh, at helping the world, feeding the world in 2050, right? Mm. Um, I really like that idea more than helping a bank just get uh, more stakeholders happy with uh, a higher amount of revenue. Mm. Because that's in the end what RPA is doing then, right? Uh, th- that's happening. What well, That's the end result of what you're doing, actually. That per capita, it's worth more. Well, that's where the immediate money is to an RPA consultancy, potentially. No, yeah, you don't see that very rich because you because people, uh, it's like an investment, mm. like also machine learning, right? They see it as an investment and they don't see it as something we could get a lot of revenue very fast. But for RPA, it's... Your ROI is within, uh, yeah, sometimes even four months, but uh, six to nine months is not that, yeah, that's normal, mm-hmm. right? So the ROI for IT projects is really fast. Uh, and then if it stays there for two years, which is, I think, a little bit the life cycle, two years of a robot, then, uh, yeah, you got uh, more than 50 months to get financial advantage from only one process. So that that's quite nice, right? Uh, and there, yeah, I think uh, we could do the same, but then also with companies who do something more, yeah, within this feed the world and doing, uh, yeah, doing the, the things that will really help us, like life science uh, and agribusiness uh, companies, I think. And what's the, what's the actual business model behind it? So you just mentioned the life cycle of RPA is two years. So you guys implement a system you build the technology you implement the system and then do you have like customer support for those two years and then you re-implement it or how does that no we we yeah we got differences for that 
uh, different ways we, we can help them set it up themselves, right? So we're more like real consultants, right? Uh, really support. So they do it themselves and we help them doing it themselves. And uh, normally you see within those 12 weeks, they can build their own bots and maintain it. And then we're like on call. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but we can also do it ourselves with a small team of four people. It depends on what they want. If they want an, uh, an, an email classifier, because a lot of things, a lot of process start with email. Mm -hmm. uh, then we got also data scientists for that particular part, right? Uh, and then we start with uh, like five or six people for those 12 weeks. And then it's really up to the customer would like to have us there because they have free bots now mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, with recurring yeah, revenue right already that that processes are being done already by those robots. Um, I think that's really a promise that we don't stay there forever, <laughs> right? Yeah. With those twelve weeks, and after those twelve weeks, it's really their their choice. Would they want our support? Uh, shall we be uh, be there for only one or two that we upskill their people for maybe like until the half of a year? Mm -hmm. So there are really different ways of, of interacting with the customer. So it's really, those 12 weeks are like quite fixed because in 12 weeks we see, we can make the, uh, yeah, we can set everything up nicely. The IT, but also the business, do the stakeholder management, do the change management uh, already, right? You have to do loads of stuff uh, and you need those guardrails around the park to make a nice park, you know? So uh, yeah, we're really setting that up. And uh, after that one, it's really the customer's call because we, we do it with the customer uh, as some companies, I think, do it for the customer. And that's really different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to, to add a couple of things to that, uh, Chris, is that uh, we indeed want to learn the business to do it themselves. And, and if I talk about the business, yeah, because until now, I think that everyone is thinking that it's only IT who's implementing these things and uh, handling these things. But let's not forget that uh, the current technologies, the current applications and platforms are so good that in the end, the employees working in the HR department or finance department can do it themselves. Eh? And that's also where our focus is. Our focus is not only on the IT side, but it's also, let's say, implementing together with the IT side, the platform, the applications, and helping the uh, employees in the HR department, sales departments, etc. So on the business side, to automate their own processes. And the current tools are so easy to handle that you don't need always very expensive IT consultants. Mm -hmm. I just want to jump on something that you said um, a couple of minutes ago, Chris. Like you said something like, if we were going to feed the world by 2050, you know, everything is biotech. Could you just expand on, on that a little bit, a little bit about what you meant there? Yeah, so I think biotech will really help, right, with feeding the world. So, uh... To, to get uh, components like for meat, for example, you maybe will be meat not of the cow, but of out of the, the factories actually. And they will come already now to factories, right? They're already quite processed, but yeah, like uh, meat that has been grown in, in those test tubes, you know, <laughs> or those, uh, uh, I think that that will be there a lot more because we just cannot maintain it. Also the supply chain, everybody, yeah, you can see it for yourself, of course. There are a lot of cows growing, but uh, on a lot of land and a lot of feed is going in there. So things will have to change. Uh, and I think life science uh, companies and biotech can help there with bacteria, doing some of the work, right? Making some of the components. 
yeah, I think uh, it will really can add up to feed the world because we have 10 billion people on the planet. Yeah, you, you need to rethink some stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of factoring in global hunger wars, climate change, um, population? Are, are you factoring these things as into your business strategy directly? Yeah, because I think, yeah, uh, yeah, we're here right now. And uh, uh, I think we can make an impact now and not tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, as, as, as far as we go with green consultancy, we, we really try to, uh, yeah, infuse this, this applied technology, this applied, yeah, things to, with the business of biotech or other companies to rethink their structure and to get maybe people free from their mundane work to think about those also for that company, right? So think about sustainability within a bank. I think there are in Holland banks already doing a lot of those things or uh, a big fast moving consumer goods. If they have a little bit of time, they could think about doing stuff in their own uh, yeah, ecosystem uh, for that matter, right? Uh, to, uh, to, to think, how can I save maybe paper or plastic with our packages fabric? Um, so, I think what we do, yeah, is quite nice because people now actually with the business knowledge what Hank's stating, with the IT knowledge that they have in their company, they could really do make an impact on their own company already mm. when it's being automated. And we're also focusing on on, on, uh, on yeah on companies that need automating, right? So like biotech, they, they know what, how to make bacteria, how to make these nice buckets. Uh, but they they're they're not very good maybe at making this process very rigid or very lean, mm-hmm. and that's where we can help them, right? That's where we really can have an edge. Fascinating, man! Just how far-reaching this is. It's it's similar to machine learning. It's I kind of don't see machine learning as a technology, and I'm now I think after talking to you, I'm beginning to see RPA itself a little. It's sort of not necessarily a technology as much as it, as much as it is an approach. It seems to be that you can look through the lens of RPA at just about any problem and you can think, ultimately, there's a process here. Maybe they don't even know it, but ultimately, there is a process. If we can find it, maybe we can make it more efficient. And then it sort of leaves the human being a little bit free of time. And then they think, okay, what do, what do I go do now? And maybe they go and improve their business. So it's interesting. It's such a, it has such a, a far-reaching effect. Has there been a project to you that's that's made you feel really good? Have you been involved in any kind of social good work? Are you working towards any of these climate change-based fears? Or Yeah, I think one, uh, because green is particularly new, right? And we're doing this work, uh, what Hank said, with a former employer, uh, which was uh, which was really nice. And uh, I think we, we did a lot of awesome stuff. I think one of the cool things we did with, uh, with the big bank is, uh, uh, yeah, that, uh, that we did really this, uh, this RPA, with uh, with low code on the on the front end, and then with uh, with some real sensors, uh, right, uh, to get this uh, uh, facility management going. So uh, facility management on a on a building of one hundred thousand square meters is really impactful, right? A lot of toilet paper, such of that matter, and a lot of yeah moving stuff. Um, and we really built within twenty four hours a prototype. Uh, with six sensors, with methane, CO2, and other things, infused with a low-code platform, Mendix, uh, with an IoT platform called Node-RED, which is open source, and then with an RPA engine to 
get it uh, within the financial old backend, you know? So all the things, all the technologies within the intelligent automation space that are available, that's what we're all about, right? We do cool stuff. Um, and because we did that, now they have asked us to, to help with uh, like uh, an IoT uh, uh, things in uh, a smart city uh, within Alkmaar. Mm. So uh, that's, a, that's a city within the Netherlands. And they are now stating, how could we do this more on a city scale? Can you help us out? You know, you, you've got all those technologies within your basket. Can you help us also a little bit more practically? So some, uh, some things on, on machine learning are maybe too far away. Uh, especially, I think, deep learning. It's, it's, you need the data to do that. And a lot of times, because there's no process, uh, there's no structure, people don't hypothesis about the data, there's nothing. You know, there, people did not collect the right data because big data without a good hypothesis, you have, you have nothing. So also with those IoT projects, you see that. And uh, then, then uh, yeah, we try to help them uh, make it much more practically. I, I feel quite proud because we are this tiny company that they, they saw this achievements, right? And they said, yeah, you can, can help, help us. Mm. The best innovations definitely come from the smallest companies. I honestly believe this. I mean, this is kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to represent a variety of companies which are so niche that they've just found themselves in the right place at the right time to, re- to solve a problem really well. And often, like you say, it's because they've just got to know the process as, as, as well as the client does. Um, and only then can you kind of begin to improve it. What you've just said is making me think that there's a really obvious intersection between machine learning and RPA that I hadn't actually really thought about. I mean, by by going in and A, sorting out processes, identifying them, and then B, optimizing them, you're creating a whole hell of a lot of log data. Like you're creating so much data in that process. And this is, of course, where machine learning lives. I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts on that. Have you come across uh, any intersection between machine learning and RPA already? Or do you have any expectation of where it might go in the future? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, so um, the, the the last big project I did with the former employer was uh, with a big insurance company within uh, with globally, and we start not with RPA only. We start with intelligent automation, and intelligent automation also entails auto machine learning for that matter. So they want to get a customer's rating right uh, out very fast out of emails and other stuff uh, and the sentiment. And then trigger a robot to do the certain particular things. If it's negative, <laughs> maybe send uh, send some uh, action. You know, the next best action. Or if it's positive, maybe to do some loyalty program things and then do different uh, actions. Right. And there you see that we did not only start with building those robots. We already start with what's the meal about our attachments. Can we read the attachment? So. Yeah, there you really saw uh, the OCR, NLP part uh, coming together and a lot of auto ML. We also use some custom uh, uh, machine learning there to get the, the most out of all those emails, to classify those emails and then to get the, ro- the right robots to work. So the scripts, you can make different scripts, of course, for different processes. Mm-hmm. So you cannot make 100. Those are just not maintainable, you know. 100 robots are not maintainable. Just to clarify, are you saying that OCR, so optical character recognition, and yeah. NLP, I think you mentioned, so natural language processing, you're saying that these yeah. things are, are giving you more to work with from an RPA perspective? Yeah, definitely. Because 
otherwise a human uh, should, can only do this to say to categorize those emails or categorize the work mm. because uh, sometimes it's just not very clear what it is right <laughs> from only a header <laughs> uh, you can or the, the the text but you have to have to open the pdf for example or the excel or whatever is in the attachment mm. and then you know ah this is an invoice or this is an, uh, a thing for uh, for the logistics. And uh, that's not structured at all. You cannot make it structures as well, right? You cannot say to your thousand uh, vendors, hey, uh, please structure your email <laughs> and uh, get it like that. So machine learning and, and yeah, machine learning basically helps RPA do its job better too. Yeah. Yeah, and because of doing this uh, yeah, prioritization and standardization, you then see what it what it can do right because you automate the, the 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 rule and the exceptions you cannot really automate but in in some extents the exceptions are more difficult and uh, a lot of times we see there you need more the machine learning part because you need a uh, rule xyz do some calculations and then yeah things can happen right and and there i think uh, yeah we lose uh, we use uh, a lot of auto machine learning as well so as machine learning increases in competence, the field of RPA has more that it can work with. What is currently just out of reach? Like, what are you expecting some the next evolution of machine learning to be able to provide RPA? I just love this compounding of, of technologies. You know, machine learning makes a breakthrough RPA, then subsequently has more to work with and potentially makes a breakthrough. Like, it's interesting. What's out of reach? What's on the horizon? Yeah. <laughs> so for the, Tough for question. the horizon, I think uh, uh, I, I think this auto scripting, that was really a thing on Forrester, right? They said it, I think they quote already some years ago, that uh, uh, an RPA script would be built, right? Just you put some of the process in and it will be built. Mm. Uh, in, in, that is machine learning itself, right? Being built itself. Um, I think that's really not there. <laughs> no. <laughs> so machine learning replacing the coders who would write the RPA script. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> they actually uh, figured that in 2021 it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, it's always the case. Like an inception of uh, of robots making machine learning, making robots. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they really uh, uh, they they thought it would be here already, but I think they they now see yeah that's too far ahead. I think if we if we are there. That will really be weird, right? That that you got this process with process mining, which is already machine learning, right? A component of machine learning. It states, "Hey, Alex, you're doing this too much. I will make a robot for you now. I will do the podcast." Wow! <laughs> wow! How much of my life? Oh my god! How much of my life could be replaced by a machine? It's funny. You, I just wanted to kind of circle back to something you said a bit earlier. So Henk, you said something about a cultural shift, a, cult a, a shift in cultural acceptance of things. Is this kind of what you were hinting at? Like, are we on the precipice of a moment in time where humanity's life is about to change in, in ways that we can't even imagine? Like, I mean, and in, in kind of like what uh, Chris has just said, you know, will this machine sit above my shoulder and watch every every keystroke on my computer and then suggest automations and for, for me as the user, it'll be the click of a button. Yeah. How do you see that affecting society? 
well, that's that's where I said in the end, humans will have to stay in control. So when you are saying uh, the kind of machine is standing standing behind me and watching what I'm doing. Uh, uh, Already right now, you have software that's looking at what you are doing on your keyboard. Yeah? Mm. So as an example, in India, for instance, it's accepted that an employer puts that software on your laptop. And by doing that, it's just checking uh, what you're doing on a daily basis. Yeah? It's not accepted in Europe, probably also not accepted in, uh, in uh, New Zealand as well. Yeah? But in some countries, it's accepted. Mm. Now, I do have that software in the Netherlands as well. But I always, let's say, shut it off. I don't like these things, yeah? So mm. I want to stay in control and nobody is controlling me in, in that manner. That's one thing. And so humans will have to stay in control. When it comes to what's going to happen in the, in, in the future, I, I think what Chris also said in the beginning, everything will be IT. So you just uh, talked about uh, um, uh, robotics and machine learning and all those things. And we were continuously focusing on, on processes. But one of the things that I always like very much is chatbots, for instance. Okay. I saw a couple of years ago an example of a uh, supplier in the UK who uh, built Amelia. Uh, was really nice. So you had a virtual agent on your screen. And you were talking to a lady or a, a man, whatever you liked to see on your screen at that moment in time. But it was still something where, let's say, most of the things were typed in by a human being. And that's also what you see with OCR right now. You start very simple. So maybe in first instance, 20% of the documents are recognized. Yeah, but over time with machine learning, in the end, 90 to 98% of the documents are recognized, scanned, uh, and put into a system. Now, that's also what you have with chatbots right now. Yeah, And if you look in the car industry, uh, for instance, yeah, so we do have these self-driving cars, but it's not 100%. We are not yet there. For me, in the future, I think we will have cars where we are not the driver anymore. We just say on an app like Uber app, you want to go from here to there. You just step into a vehicle. Does it have to be a car? I don't know. It's a kind of a vehicle and you go somewhere. Uh, if you have an issue and whether you're just, let's say, uh, a person, a private person uh, working from home and, and, and having some questions, or whether you're an MP, you're talking to your computer a virtual agent, and that virtual agent will, in the end, give you all the answers. Personally, what I really do like, one of the th strongest things, because you just talked about, Alex, and databases, and Chris as well, yeah, with a lot of data, look at the internet. The internet is the biggest database with most of the knowledge that we have in place. Yeah? So if you connect our computers, chatbots, to the internet, and that's where it gets tricky, then the computer is smarter than we are in human beings. Yeah, because they have all the knowledge worldwide. They can handle it very fast, can do analytics very fast, even faster than we can. And if you look at quantum technology, for instance, it even goes much, much faster. Um, so that, that's where it gets where it gets tricky. And I do know that, let's say, some scientists already warned many governments be careful, uh, mm. because at the moment in time where the machines are in control, then that could be the end of, let's say, human beings. Now, whether that's going to happen, I don't know, but that really depends on whether we want to stay in control. So 
are we able to push that button and just say stop here? That's like the plot of uh, Deus Ex Machina and the Matrix put together. <laughs> just a cheery note, just to, just to leave everybody uh, yeah. feeling really yeah. valued. <laughs> wow. Um, no, but, but as, as an example, I know that Elon Musk, for instance, has, uh, everyone knows that he's, uh, let's say, uh, owning uh, Tesla and that uh, when it comes to uh, artificial intelligence and uh, self-driving cars, he's ahead of a lot of other companies. But he's one of the guys who's warning everyone for what will come up. And uh, he's, he's warning everyone and governments, together with some uh, other experts, guys, be careful. Because if you're not staying in control, then IT will take over control. Wow, I think Elon so Musk just likes to mess with people because he has the power to do so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever he says, you know, when it comes to anything, he can just mess with people's minds. So I don't know how much I trust the things that he says. <laughs> no, no, but okay, okay, I, I, I agree. Uh, so he's a lot of things on, on Twitter. Yes. But, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there are many more scientists. And I just forgot the name of uh, the guy who recently, I think two years ago, died. Uh, I think he was in 60, 70 years old. Uh, that, that was, let's say, when it comes to quantum technology and all these things, he was the expert. Uh, well, he died, unfortunately. He also warned uh, yeah, everyone, uh, the entire society. Be careful with mm. this technology, with science, with IT, uh, because we can do a lot of very good things with it, uh, and we will implement it in the end. But if we're not careful enough, then IT will take all. Crazy, I'm, man. I'm and honestly, spoken, that's that's what I'm afraid of as well. Eh? Yeah. So when you're talking about is. Uh, can we with IT, so if in the end we implement, let's say, uh, robotics, if we automate all the processes, can we make humans almost redundant? Well, Chris, almost. <laughs> one of you is nodding, one of you is shaking your head. <laughs> no, I think, I think uh, to add on that, I, I don't think so. Because in the end, how much are we in control of our own lives already? Right, That's a question maybe already. Uh, which you can think of. I think where RPA really is, it's on the process, right? It's on top of something. And to make something new, a new process, a robot, uh, as this matter, won't make a new process, right? You have to do that as a human. You have to figure out uh, A to B to C to D, and here are some uh, decisions making. Um, so I think that will be already, it's already uh, always augmented there. So I'm not really afraid of technology. Uh, in that matter. Also, I think because we have this time uh, and this technology coming, we should be up to speed. I think you maybe control is not the part we should focus on, but more to understand it, right? And I see there things lacking. So education lacking, people graduating from universities without any applied knowledge on technology. And that's where I feel we're not preparing our future. So how can we help there? I think there's something as green. We also would like, we are helping there already for within Holland and with other universities just to get this knowledge there because it's already here, right? What you said with monitoring in America, cubicle AI for that matter is already a thing, right? Next back action with BPM is already there. What's cubicle AI? 
Yeah, because they can monitor the cubicle within America and it triggers all the data when you're walking to the toilets, the PC. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's already uh, getting all the data there. So uh, it's already there. You know, the, the big wow. brother watching you like 12 years ago or 15 years, it's there literally because there's no privacy law. Oh, as in like how how often do you go for a bathroom break? Is that kind yeah. of... Yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. yeah. True. And you can use all the data with the data, with the keystrokes what Hank said, to combine the data. How productive is that person? You know, it's, yeah. it's easy. All the data is available. And the next best action for the, for the manager is already there. Should mm. you fire him or not or her, you know? Yeah. This is like Amazon. I don't know how I'd feel as an employee if I worked somewhere where that was a thing. They get pretty pissed off. Yeah, they get pretty pissed off. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I really liked it, Alex, but I really have to go. I uh, should get to uh, to orchestrate the robots uh, here at uh, my uh, to replace my some current employer. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Also, do some security controls there. So, uh, thank you so much. No, thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, the conversation really got interesting towards the end when we when all of we're talking about these compounding techs. Uh, technologies and how they're really drastically already changing cubicle watching and human lives um, and about to change so much more. So it's been so great talking to you both. Thank you. Thank you both.